Shut up and sit down. It's the Limited Upside Podcast. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Mike, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I've been doing a little better if uh, my favorite team could beat the second worst team in the NBA. Ew, man. Off a of back-to-back, Mike, your, your Wizards lost uh, the night after an impressive, for the best win of their season, they had the worst loss of their season. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm doing okay, you know. it's It's been an interesting NBA season. We're a month in now, yeah. and the storylines are starting to develop. Everywhere except the Eastern Conference, right. which is a still a big mess of nothing. It's a slog. Like you said, the Eastern Conference is uh, it's a top team, it's the worst team, and then kind of every other team is really close. So I think the best way for me to present this question to you, Mike, and we had chatted about this, I don't know, for like a couple weeks now because you're such a diehard Wizards guy. I'm a, I, love, I love the Sixers. These are things we can't help. But who's the second best team in the Eastern Conference? We know who the best team is. The Cavs are the best team. The record says they're tied with the Pacers right now, maybe. Mm-hmm. But they're the best team in the East. They're likely going to represent the East. Who are they going to play in the Eastern Conference Finals? Who's that second best team in the East right now? Man, that is a tough question. I will stump for the Toronto Raptors right now. Oh, please. please I will stump ahead. for the Raptors. Please you know, ahead. I don't know if they can keep this up, but right now I think they're number two. I think... They've got the best guard in the East right now in Kyle Lowry. Okay. And who, who else is uh, in the competition uh, I there? As I think about that, it's probably not even close. Yeah, he's the best guard in the East right now. I think uh, yeah, him or Jimmy Butler, I think it's those are the only really two choices. Yeah. And I, I would take Kyle Lowry. I think they have one of the best defenses in the East. I mean, they, they were terrible on defense last year. They're very good this year. Where do they rank this year? They're, they're way up there. Uh, in defensive efficiency, uh, they have a, I think, a really balanced team. I mean, they they're a little short on offensive creators. They kind of have Lowry and Demar Derozan, and the rest of the team, you know, not so much. Especially now that uh, Valanciunas is injured, but they're really ferocious defensively. They got great versatility. They can play a lot of different lineups. Have they been better since Valanciunas went out? They've hung in there, you know, pretty well. Maybe they have been better. I mean, I think it's tough to say. I, I think Bismack Biyombo has been really good for them. And I also think that they're a defense-first team that is guard-oriented, and Valanciunas kind of disrupts that a little bit. Yeah, he kind of is. A, the ball gets to him, it waits a little bit. Mm-hmm. He also doesn't move out of the lane. He, he takes up a lot of space that Lowry likes to drive in. Yeah, and a lot of space that people will shoot over him sure. in on the other end. So I like the way they're playing. I think they've also had the top a schedule of a, a lot of these teams they've gone out west already yep, you know and now they they don't have they had i think their first 11 of their first 15 were on the road you know it's starting to even out a little bit the big question though is if kyle lowry skinny kyle lowry can i talk about that for one second yes i didn't i've been watching kyle lowry play since high school since his philadelphia high school days i didn't recognize him when the sixers played him two weeks ago three weeks ago whatever it was it was a completely different person he looks yeah. taller he looks like a taller human because he's thinner right he look, he's a, a significantly quicker basketball player yeah and he was he's pretty really, good already he was really good and now he's yeah like you're i think you're right he probably is the best guard as i look at it in the Eastern Conference right now, and and that competition is is slim. Um, right. I don't even think there's any other people I would really, really mention two way in the same breath as him in the Eastern Conference right now, other than Jimmy Butler. But that's a totally different type of player. Right. Uh, I mean, John Wall was the best guard in the East last year, but he has not played well to start the year. So. Not really. Okay. That's I was Lakers fans booing him. I the think. Worst. 
Yeah, I, so, I think that's what it was, too. Yeah, I think so, too. But, I was at a weird sports moment last night, too. I went to the Islanders-Rangers game, quick aside. It was the first time I've ever been at a game that was 50-50, not a bowl game. It was the Rose Bowl years ago. Uh, the TCU-Wisconsin game. That was half red, half purple. Yeah. Everyone was in blue last night, and I had no idea who it was. <laughs> it was really weird, bizarre, yeah. but the best atmosphere I've ever been at at the Barclays Center. Oh, that's so, good. Sorry, Nets fans. Uh, that's Even good. better than the playoff game a couple years ago against the Bulls. That's good. So I like yes, Toronto exactly. right now, I think, as the team. Okay. They just... They can do a lot. They can play a lot of different ways. I like when they play Joseph and Lowry together. They can do that. Mm-hmm. They can go small with Carroll at the four. You like Casey a coach? I think Casey's a pretty good coach. You know, he's not a great coach, but I think he's better than he was last year now that he has a team that's more in his image. You know, because you think about what they – they lost a lot of scoring last year, and, you know, they replaced it with defense. So right now I'd say they're number two. It's tough. So let me tell you, uh, audience here, uh, two days ago – or this actually may have been yesterday when I took this note – Mike said in conversation it was Miami. Miami was the second. Yeah. Tell me why it's not Miami. Yeah, I don't know. I I think they they had a tough result against Boston earlier in the week. I looked at their schedule. It's very home-heavy. So they haven't really played – they haven't really beaten anyone particularly of note. Eight and three at home. Two and three on the road. Right. (laughs) So they played a lot of home games. They haven't beaten anyone of note. I like their – Raptors are eight and five on the road. They've already played 13 road games. 13 road games. Four yeah. and two at home. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. You realize that. And then I thought about it, too, with Miami. I, there's a lot I like about them, and mm-hmm. I just kind of love their setup. I love Justice Winslow, as we talked about last time. But who is their best player right now? That's and a good I, question. And I think the obvious answer is Chris Bosh. He's still very good. But then why is it that Miami's best lineup doesn't have him in? Mm-hmm. So when you say best lineup, you're going by the hard, the hard numbers. The, 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 they're plus, minus, or, or efficiency, mm-hmm. whatever. Say that they're best when Bosch isn't playing. They're best when Winslow replaces Bosch and they play Dang at the four. Yep. Uh, that is – now white these – Whiteside at five. Tell, me, tell us yeah, what's that. Whiteside, Goran, Dragic, and Wade. Basically, okay. they're starting lineup without them. About strategically deployed – at certain times, as are all of Miami's lineups. So I'm it's not s- like Spolstra is a good defensive coordinator. Yeah, right. That's kind of his niche. That you, it's being played out more and more when sort of his Peyton Manning, that guru who kind of just ran the team offensively, LeBron is gone, and you really see that the benefits of his coaching is a defense. I think yeah. you're right. That small lineup's pretty tenacious, and Winslow really brings it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like guys who take pride in the next matchups coming that week to say that, you know, on Thursday or on Friday we have the Thunder and I can't wait to guard these guys. I love that. Usually it's the opposite. Like, I can't wait to go to that city. Used to score a lot of points in, uh, when I played there in high school or in those <laughs> gyms, whatever it may be. It's all about scoring. And Winslow, mm-hmm. I think you're right. He has that, that inverse mentality of stopping people, and that's important because <laughs> at this point Wade and Dragic aren't guys who stop right. people. Um, Whiteside stops a lot of people. I've been very impressed with Whiteside. Yeah. about him a lot. He's a little polarizing. What he gives you and what he doesn't give you. Mike, I really like Whiteside. I don't see much of a difference between, or I should say, I think he's a, I like him even more than Gobert. Ooh, I don't Very agree with close, that. But I like him even more than Gobert. Um, tell me tell me this uh, about the Miami, if we're saying Miami versus Toronto. Say those are the, the two and three teams. I'm, I don't think they are. We'll tell you. I'll tell well, you who do you think you are? <laughs> well, I'll just get right into it then. Um, if we're going to say that there are, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five teams we could discuss about being the second. Oh, I think that there might be more than five. I'll tell you there's five, right? Okay. In my opinion, right? Uh, we talked about Toronto and Miami. I think Chicago, Atlanta, and Indiana can also get in that conversation. And I think Indiana is the second best team in the East right now. because They have the second best player in the East right now. 
Yeah, maybe the best. Playing the best currently, but I would say he is the second best player in the East. And and watching Paul George last night, granted the Clippers, I should say we're recording this uh, on Thursday, as we usually do here. Uh, It's Thursday, December 3rd. So I'll say this, watching him last night uh, against the Clippers, he has like a... Uh, a mental edge right now. He's playing with this, like, I missed a year and I'm making it all up right now. Yeah. Defensively, offensively, and it carries over to his teammates. The Pacers are playing with tremendous confidence, uh, and they were a beaten-down team last year. They played like a team who had kind of been close to the top, saw what it looked like, fallen very far down, lost their best player. They were on the heels of a reboot. Yeah, well, they did reboot. Kind of, but then I mean, comes back into it. It's like, well, the two best players are still the point guard, Paul George. I'm sorry, still a... Uh, no, no. Their small forward, small Paul forward, George. Paul George and their point guard. Um, George Hill, though. Hill. I mean, George Hill is a pretty good player, but that also is why I'm still not sure about them. I mean, they, they it's, it still doesn't really make sense when you look at their mm-hmm. the talent on their roster. They, they're so well-coached. Super well-coached. They've been a constant for the last you know, four or five years. Yeah. Frank, I mean, it, it's Frank Vogel makes chicken salad out of uh-huh. almost anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he... This team, I was very skeptical of them when they went small because I just didn't think that they had enough on the wing, up front, with shooting. It didn't, it looked like a rushed job to me. Mm-hmm. But what they ended up figuring out is that, and I also was very concerned about George playing the four. Sure. Uh, as I wrote, I think early in the preseason, I think he was complaining, yeah, he didn't want to do it. It's just a different job. You're taking a great wing player and making him a four. I think even in the small ball area, there's a difference between the three and the four. But what they end up figuring out is that, one, they don't always have to play small. They play big plenty. I think they started big the other night, right? The Lavoy Allen. They did. They did start Lavoy, my temple's finest. <laughs> the reason why the Sixers traded Vucevic. Yeah, and they have Jordan Hill and they have they have Miles Turner before he got injured. You know, they have some bigs. Yeah, Mahimi's all right. Mahimi's played very well yeah. this year. Active. I mean activity at the five is all teams want now. If you're gonna have four skilled players on the court, you better have your five being a guy who's active. Yeah, he's good. He's Athletic. been better than Roy Hibbert. Yeah. Really. Uh but they ended up the other thing they did is now CJ Miles takes all the four assignments, does all that dirty work. He's and been it, playing well above his average capacity per yeah. se, this year. He's changed the other parts of his game. He's always been a scorer, but he's actually playing overall basketball. This he's year. playing great defense. Yeah. In their system, it, it is really important for the four man on defense to kind of do a lot of the sacrifice so that the other guys look better. Mm-hmm. And he's taken that on and I think that's the key to their season right now. Yeah. And I also just think guys like a Miles who is like six six, right? The NBA is coming into the, the perfect time to be a tweener. It was, yeah. when, I was a, when I was a child, Mike, it was the worst thing to be Clarence Weatherspoon. <laughs> now, it's totally fine to be an undersized name the position because the NBA is just coming down to you in size. The best lineup that the best team in the NBA plays has a center who is six foot nine. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a very unique center, it's six super, or nine. Super but super unique. But yeah. each one of these teams is finding their own sort of copycat version or the four, you know, call it a point three wing guys or two wings and a stretch four and a center that works for them. And that's, that's become the recipe. So, so you're still with Indiana though. See the problem I have, yeah, the problem I have is that at the end of the day, they don't, other than George, who is hitting some great shots, great shot maker. They don't really have a lot of, I mean, I guess Monte Ellis has played a little better, but other than him, they don't really have anyone that can kind of get to the rim regularly. They're, Backup big men are kind of are pretty nondescript. They, Jordan Hills of the world. Yeah, they're shooting. A, they still are shooting a lot of mid range jumpers, but do you think Stucky will help him? Yeah, you know, Stucky helps him a little bit, but he's still kind of the same sort of player. He's yeah. he's kind of living in the fifteen foot range. Very much so. So 
I wonder if George does have a slump, and I'm not saying that he will, but you do remember a couple years ago he started like gangbusters and no, then really no, fell off. No. You do wonder, and and right now, I mean, what he he's shooting over people, and you know that's because he's a big dude sure. and tall for his position. If he struggles at any point, you wonder if there's enough in reserve there, and maybe there is, and maybe I'm end up looking wrong here. But that's why I still think Toronto. They just have more. They have more balance and even more options. I think. Okay. All right. So a very balanced team that has a lot of options. I think very similar to they were last year is the Hawks. Yeah. I saw the Hawks play live a couple weeks ago. Granted, it was the Nets, but they have a great overall team speed. They, they, you know. It's, I don't have to go over what the Hawks do well. They pass the ball real well. The ball never stops, etc. I really like when they mess with Schrader and Teague together. I like when Teague plays offensively. When he when he gets aggressive, uh, what was the game the other night, Mike? We talked about it. I'm blanking on it now. Teague took some Oklahoma the, City. Yes, the Oklahoma City game. Teague got real aggressive for the final two minutes. It was a mano a mano thing with Westbrook. It was a three layups he hit, and he I got believe. To each time. That's absolutely right. And they were really good drives. I mean, he's a very dynamic driver. They were against bad defense. Sure. Uh, sure, so fair. you're you're gonna like you're gonna hawk, you're gonna hawk the Hawks after what you did uh, yeah, la- after your year? skepticism last year, and now that they're not as good, you like them well, suddenly. I like them as a fifty win team, I don't like them as a sixty win team. Okay, well they're I think, you know, and they're gonna be around that mid fifties this year again, maybe lower. Look, I mean, look, part of the thing we should caveat here is that first place in the Eastern Conference as we sit today on December third is thirteen and five, and uh, excluding the Sixers and Nets. The Bucks sitting in third to last place are seven and twelve. I mean, the East is that tight. It's it's a real I mean, the East, the NBA right now. The parity is is overwhelming, and that's really because, and this kind of comes to the overall. I don't know, the background of what we how we got into this conversation <laughs> offline here was we didn't know who the second best team in the East was, but we don't really know much about the NBA yet. I mean, yeah, I mean it's early. The NBA, it's early, but it's it's muddled. The East teams are beating the West teams for the first time in years, so that's created this much more uh, parity laden. Uh, um, you know, uh, schedule. Sorry. Yeah, it, it sure does. Now back yeah. to Atlanta. Yes, Atlanta guy. Now the thing I worry about with them. Standing. Sorry, I couldn't. Think yeah. Of now they they are a good team. Yeah. No, don't get me wrong. Yes. I think we're on you the like same. I like Atlanta, but I don't like them as the second best team in the East okay. because I think this year there's sort of. I think this is a transitional year for Atlanta. Uh, you know, for a couple years they're really built around Kyle Korver's kind of running around screens and. Firing out. I think he's not – also, they had great wing play last year with Carroll. They were, I would say, a much more – I think now they're moving towards – they're really built around their two bigs, Millsap and Horford, sure. and their skill, which is very unique in the in the league. Uh, I think Millsap is probably the closest player there is to Draymond Green in the yeah. league. I'm not saying that he's that good, but yeah. the similar – and Horford is now shooting threees, and that makes him really tough to guard. And Mixup was thought of as undersized. Remember? Yeah, 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 uh, <laughs> I, yeah absolutely. Imagine if he was a five, he played more five for them, and they kind of don't do that. Yeah. The thing, though, is I just think their wings are not where they were last year. Corver yeah. is not is not an upgrade by any means. Yeah, and Cephalosha is a good guy behind a Carroll, but maybe not as good when sure. you put him in there with Carroll, and then there's the backup to the backup. Yep. And I just think Corver is, you know, he's coming off off-season surgery. He's 34. And teams, I think, have started to copy a lot of what, you know, the Nets, the Wizards, and the Cavs did in the playoffs, you know, to stop his threat. And 
so I just don't think they're quite as dynamic. You know, they had a they were really they really struggled against the Raptors the other night mm-hmm. to get offense. I think, you know, Teague is a very good player, but he still has these stretches where he's a little passive. Schroeder is almost too aggressive sometimes. So they they're not as full. I mean, a good team, but I don't think not last year's I don't think they're they could. I think if they finish second in the East, it's because everybody else really fell apart or did not fare as well as expected you know that that's what i think with them so then the the fifth and final team that i touched on you can tell me if you think there's other contenders you seem to think there is i think chicago is another team who could throw their hat into that the ring there for that second uh overall team in the east you tell me you're telling me this is the same chicago team they were last year and they haven't changed at all i mean fundamentally yes yes they're a bad offensive team a very good defensive team a slow team a team that doesn't really what's the thing they need to figure out tell me this you've watched a few of the games i haven't watched it you know again i haven't watched nearly enough of the bulls this year i haven't watched nearly enough toronto this year clearly i picked some teams that i do prefer to watch. okay uh including obviously you're supposed to fake it you know no no, i mean i i catch the highlights the same way you do uh anybody does I, i i try to watch as much as i can but i need to know what the bulls need to correct in order to be that second team because i think on paper they have the second best team in the well but that's the problem though what do they correct i mean what can they do that's what i'm asking what can they do about derrick rose not being the same player there's nothing they can do about that they don't have another point guard what can they do about Pau Gasol being a very good, skilled offensive player that, frankly, dominates bad big men, yep. really is not the same player against very good big men, still doesn't really move on defense. He, You know, you can do something. He's a little better at the rim this year, but he's still he's lead-footed. One-on-one defense. Is, he, he, you're right, help defense. His pick-and-roll defense is bad. Yeah. Teams will just pick it apart. Uh, what can you do about that? There's when, really When do you play Noah? Well, what can you do about Noah, though? I mean, he can't play offense. I mean, he's been a lot more active in the last couple games. But I seem to remember the best parts of Noah's game were his IQ, it was his passing ability, a little bit of his odd ball handling ability for a big man, you know, the different handoffs and the way he used his body. Those are all things that don't necessarily have to do with your touch around the rim or your, like, confidence levels. Like, uh, those are the parts of basketball that, that – for most players, are the innate parts that set them aside. But if you had. but if you can't, if you're not a threat at all, at all, yeah, yeah, then nobody, everybody's going to play you for that. And then, what can you really do? I mean, they have Dunleavy is hurt. Mm-hmm. Now McDermott has played better. Tony Snell has played better. They also can't really do anything about the fact that three of their four bigs that have to play are basically centers. Gasol, right. Noah, and Taj Gibson is kind of a center now. He doesn't have shooting range. He's very good at the rim. You he posts up. He's just not nearly what he was last year. Maybe the book has been written a little bit and people have watched the film, but Miritich was a significantly stronger weapon last year. Maybe I think they're still figuring – yeah, I think I still think they're figuring him out yeah. a little bit. But it's – when you have that much infrastructure that is that stale – you know, it doesn't really matter who your coach is. You're, you're a lot of things. You're kind of that's who you are. And you know, I don't really if the the upside is that Jimmy Butler looks great. McDermott looks pretty good. Dunleavy is coming back, which is good. And Miritich will play better. Now he's he's got a concussion right now, which is a little scary. So that's something they may make a trade to free something up. But this is kind of why what Steve Kerr did last year is so unique. It's not you can't usually have the same players and just flip them into something significantly more than what they were right, just right. by changing the coach. Fred Horberg comes in, he's got this new system, this new space system. 
they're tw- they're in the bottom ten, maybe bottom five. I forget what they are at this point in offense because your system of opening the court and free flowingness doesn't really. You need the players, and they don't have them. And on the flip side, they do still have their defense. So I don't know. Maybe again, maybe like the Hawks. You know, if every if some of these other teams kind of fall apart, they have a chance to take the reins. But I believe their point differential is around like one. With the Bulls, it's not very good. So so on the one. So I and I don't see much room for upward growth. So I'm not. I'm a little skeptical. Plus one point one on the. Okay, plus one point one. Now they have played some tough games. Yeah. You know, they've gone out west. So, you know, they're not going to be bad. But, you know, to me, they're basically what they win last year, 50 games and lose in the second round. Mm-hmm. Seems like about what they're going to do this year yeah, to me. They have a lot of guys who shoot really bad percentages, too. And that makes for sloppy games. Uh, when you have a Rose who's shooting like 35% or whatever mm-hmm. it is, uh, Miritich shoot, was shooting 39 or is around the high 30s in percents. I mean, that, that's these are volume guys shooting bad percentages together on the court. Right. And that creates sloppy play. Uh, There's no uh, space. There's no, There's no space. space. You're absolutely right. Well, it's an oddly, like, we just went over a really oddly constructed team. Um, when you end up with having three big men who you have to play. Or, or don't, and they, you could call Miritich a big man too. They're four, yeah. They're four big men, and only one of them can shoot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then only really one of them, two of them can mm-hmm. defend. Mm-hmm. So tell me this, Mike. If those five teams aren't the second best team in the East, who, who is? Well, I mean, I think it's Toronto, but I think a couple teams to think about. I think I can't figure out Boston yet. <laughs> I really can't. Now, they've had some moments where they look great. Are and you then saying this because they killed the Wizards, and that's just like very vivid. In your it is, but you know they also they have some big wins otherwise. Oh, Not do. just the Wizards; uh, they just beat Miami right. in Miami. But the game before, they got blown out by Orlando. Yeah, they lost. Uh, they beat the Nets, lost to the Nets. I mean, yeah, weird things. They're a strange team. I yeah. I can't figure. I kind of know that they're. I don't think they're the second best team, but. I don't really know what they are yet. So no. they're a team to think about. I don't think Cleveland wants to play them in the first round. Well, not after Kelly Olynyk yanked yes, Kevin yeah. Love's shoulder last year. Just licking his chops. Yeah. He just watches game film of Love's shoulder. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like a Hannibal Lecter thing. Um, wow, that's okay. that's really creepy. It's real. It's real. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. Now I kind of want to see was, that first-round series. I the Lambs uh, like four days ago, and I have not slept well since. Um, let's see. I'm sorry so you haven't slept Knicks, well. Man, real quick. The Knicks are 9-10. and 10. They're okay. 9 and 10, that's pretty good, right? They're okay. Sorry, I just had to mention the Knicks. That was the obligatory <laughs> Knicks mention. Porzingis is great. There's one very particular team we did not mention. Obviously, I don't mean the Sixers-Nets. Um, I don't know. The Hornets are okay. But we didn't talk about the Wizards, Mike. Yeah. We didn't talk about the Wizards. Give me the two things the Wizards that stick out the most with you right now. You've been watching them for years and years and years. You've seen the best of John Wall, the worst of John Wall, the best of Whitman, the worst of Whitman, the really worst of Whitman. <laughs> what is it right now? Because they're in quite a lull. I mean, they, they have, yeah. they, have uh, they have hit a, a rock bottom of sorts. I asked you this morning, was last night's loss to the Lakers rock bottom? You said it was the blowout to Boston. Yeah. What needs to be changed? Tell me right now the quick fixes for them. Well, Immediate fixes. first of all, I think they're in a really bad spot. Okay. I think they've been blown out a lot. I think the East is better. I mean, you talk, look at all these teams they now have to jump. Uh, I like Charlotte. I think they're doing some interesting things. We haven't mentioned Orlando. Nope. Orlando has played very well this year. 10 and 8, yep. And with a very good point differential. Boston, uh, New York, probably not. No. They're not there. But Pistons, Detroit, Detroit is an yeah. interesting team. They have a ways to go. I think what's happened is that well, I think the number one thing is that for a long time John Wall was not playing well. And he's played better the last couple of games. But they when you're last night. yeah, when your best player is 
and they rely a lot on him. When he's playing that poorly, everything else just kind of looks rough. Yeah, I agree. And then I think what happens is they have this new system. They don't quite have the roster for it yet. I thought they were further along than Indiana. It has not come to be. I think they're emphasizing the pace so much that they're the defense has obviously suffered. You know, they're struggling to play fast. And then the other thing, I just think when they play their way, they're they're not really attacking the hole in a meaningful way. They're kind of pinging it around. So teams are kind of just throwing a force field in the perimeter and just leave, leaving the guys who they know can't beat them. The Otto Porter, who's shooting 28% from three, they know that they can close hard to Dudley and that he can't really beat them off the dribble. The Sessionses, the Garrett Temples, they swarm Beal and – kind of wall i think is just so out of control a lot he's turning the ball over a lot the team in general is turning the ball over a lot they just don't have uh, Otto porter is shooting 44 percent from the field and 26 percent from three. and not only that 26 percent on wide open threes like they are li- they're leaving him open yeah. so they almost they almost have the they're looking at the strategy almost as tactics more than strategy mm-hmm. it's almost like okay we spread the floor we put shooting around, and it's going to be fine. But what they don't realize is that the the whole point of spreading the floor is to attack, is to create space, is to use to maximize what they have. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're there yet. You know, maybe they'll get there. I'm actually somewhat encouraged by some of the things I see there. It's just when Wall is not playing well, Beal is not played that well, and they're doing they're they're obviously the suffering a defense. Situation's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Which. Frankly, that was something they should have seen coming, you know, and now Nene's out for a little while and, you know, they have nothing, you know, so that was something they should have seen coming. And they probably Bradley Beal for Noel. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Well, I had to, I had to offer that. No. Um, what, real quick, Alan Anderson, you, uh, we talked about this weeks ago. You thought he was a good addition, but he's yes. not really is – he, is he still that good addition that you, you thought he was? Well, he's not playing. Right. He's injured. Okay, what happened to him? He hurt his ankle. He hasn't played yet this year. I think he'll help them. Alan Anderson coming back could be the boost they need then. It will help them. Space a little bit. More space I, I, for wall. Kick and shoot. I just think he's a good... Just trying to make you a little more optimistic, Mike. I didn't mean to put you on the and get you super sad. That's on me. Mike asked me not to do that, but I had to. Yeah. We were you about, jerk. We were talking about the top two teams in the East in preseason. I would have told you the Wizards absolutely could be in that discussion. Mm-hmm. Right it's now, early. Not so much. As it's, I look through real quick just to top it off, you mentioned their blowout losses. Holy cow, man. They have a lot. So many. I, I didn't even realize this. Yeah, they've gotten destroyed by Oklahoma City and the Durant reunion yes two 125 101 yep two blowout losses to boston 114 99 to the hawks and that was a game and that was a game that they were right there until they just blew it all in the fourth quarter killed by the pacers giving up 123 points to the pacers yeah it was a weird game but yes that one too you're saying man hard hard to really build on on games like that what do you take mm -hmm. from a blowout of that nature yeah Um, no they're not in a good place i mean there's no question i don't know what the real fix is other than, I mean, if you fire Randy Whitman, you're still probably going to promote from his staff. So I don't really know how much that really does. Mm-hmm. I think they just, their guys have got to play better. They've got to play, they got to attack the basket. I think they may need to simplify some of the stuff they're doing and just kind of really put the ball in Wall's hands. They're mm-hmm. trying a lot of whirling dervish stuff that is, in theory, very good. But in practice, I think, again, teams kind of form this force field and they just kind of kick it out to each other aimlessly with no purpose. And they're tired. I think they're running a little too much. They may need to emphasize the space over the pace. Sure. A little more space. Slightly less pace. Um, cool, Mike. So 
I guess really what we just came to the conclusion of is the East is just a mess, and we have yeah. no idea who the second best team is, but we have a, a number of candidates. It's kind of like uh, the, the race for the GOP nomination. Lots of candidates. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I do want to give some love to Orlando. Uh, I think ahead. they're interesting. I like they bench Victor Oladipo, made him a six man, and they suddenly their offense is a lot more fluid and less, you know, kind of your turn, my turn. Yeah. Evan Fournier playing very well. Fournier is awesome, man. Yeah, he's got a lot of confidence. He's had confidence even when he wasn't getting good minutes. He'd come into mm-hmm. the game in Denver and it was like, hey, that guy thinks he's the best player on the court. Yeah, but yeah, he was playing like six again. How much would you pay him this summer? He's interesting. He's taller than people think. How tall is Fournier? Like? He's he's a taller dude. I mean, with the way the cap is jumping, I was gonna say I have no idea what he should make because the cap jumping. I don't I don't know what the floor the the, the precedent will be set for right. a guy like him. It's going to be weird when he's making, like, a lot more money than Steph Curry. No, I'm just kidding. For one year. For one year, I know. <laughs> well, he turned down, what, $8 million a year to start the year? That, mean, yeah. That range, $8 yeah. million. Yeah. He's going to at least double that. I mean, he should. He can hit threes. He's a smart player. He passes well. Um, I mean, like, like you said, I, I'm sorry we didn't touch on Orlando because we probably never touch on Orlando in here, and they actually do deserve the credit that, uh, that they've earned at this point. Um, it's tough to take a guy like Oladipo drafted real high, face of a franchise, and make him your sixth man. Another team that just made – this will tie into the Sixers, which we'll get to at the end of this podcast. I have to caveat that real quick. But Michael Carter-Williams was just decided to be the sixth man by mm. Jason Kidd. You know, I don't know if that one was as much as, was as, much as sixth man as, like, start. not starter. Like, Victor Oladipo's playing fine. Right. He just doesn't fit. Michael Carter-Williams, on the other hand. Man. Yeah. That team is a mess. They are. Well, we kind of hinted towards this. Like, you can only have so many guys who have to have the ball within 15 feet of the basket on the court at the same time. Because once you get in that 15-foot, call it, half circle that it's created at, uh, you know, in a half-court offense, there's too many big bodies in the same place. Not enough shooters on that. I mean, there's maybe a shooter or two when Ballas is, uh, I guess, a little bit more space now with Ballas starting. But, uh, you know, other than Middleton, who, who do you really need to get out on? Uh, and then when you put a lot of money into you know bringing in a guy like Monroe, but then you're keeping bodies all around him, he doesn't have space to operate. He hates when people are around him. He gets a little finicky down low. I don't know. I, I look at Milwaukee as like this is sort of the what what happens when you build a team like this. It's well, not a well put together team. Well, you haven't mentioned the biggest problem is that they're 28th in defense. Yeah, which it shouldn't happen. They were second in defense last year, yep. and that's that's the biggest problem. Yeah, I wrote this week about the secret weapon of that team might have been Zaza Pachulia. That's right. Yeah. You did put a piece on Zaza. And, you strength. Know, you know, strength of Zaza. You know, the, the intelligence. Right now, they replaced Monroe, who's really poor. And, and now when you take one cog out of that overloading machine and suddenly it's not what it used to be, that's a big problem. Is he going to be end up being like a slightly bigger Josh Smith? Like the Josh Smith effect, almost like dude leaves uh, leaves Detroit. Finally, Drummond's unleashed. Detroit's a better team defensively. They're significantly better. Comes to Milwaukee, a really good defensive team. Now all of a sudden, they're really bad at defense. They're losing games. I mean, it's it's not a bad comparison. They play very differently. He almost is. I was kind of hopeful that they would kind of use him like Charlotte uses Jefferson, and they've kind of got all this length and intelligence around him, but. They, it has not worked out as expected. Now, I should say, they are still all very young, so perhaps the problem was really that that team played a little over its head last year, and this is kind of more where they are in their rebuild trajectory. Yeah, I can see that. You know, I mean, Giannis is 21. Mm-hmm. Parker is 20. Carter Williams is a little older, but he's still 23 or 24. Monroe is 24. 
five. He can't be much older. I know he played against right. He played against Carter Williams, Georgetown, Syracuse. Mm-hmm. So. John Henson is still very young. Right. Yeah. You know, Middleton is twenty five, I believe. And tell me this then, maybe, maybe a team gets complacent, falls into twenty eighth in defense because because they have so many young guys who aren't necessarily uh, you know who can't sense when it's happening. I think that's such a big thing with veteran teams is that you don't see a lot of trends. Uh, with veteran teams, like oh, for three weeks now they've been doing this bad. No, you're not. And part part of that is the more veteran laden teams in the NBA also happen to have the best coaches, systems, etc. Yeah. Spurs, whatever you call but it. but the Bucks' problem isn't a system issue, is it? No, I don't. I'm not saying it's a system. Yeah. The, the leadership there isn't saying like, hey guys, we gotta really maybe we're not scoring enough points right now, and they're not. But we can absolutely play better defense. We have a full team of guys with seven foot wingspans. It should be hard to score. Right. Us, you know. And I think that's a good point too because they they do lost they did lose Zaza. They lost Jared Dudley. Those were the vets mm-hmm. for them, and they really kind of gave them up for nothing. Yep. You know, they got actually. Not only kind of, they did get nothing. They got two picks they'll never receive. That's crazy. And they never replaced them. And now in Jared's case, you know, okay, you have Parker coming back. You know, maybe his minutes will be cut. Zaza's case, yeah, I guess you have Monroe and you have Henson. But why? they had one year left on their deals, both of them. Like, why Why couldn't you keep them around? You know, and we haven't even talked about the – going back to what may be ultimately the original sin, which is the Brandon Knight trade, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I thought I liked at the time, but has not worked out for them in any yeah, way. You've, you've, uh, you've 360 on, uh, 180 on me here. I said 360 would get you back to where you started. I was going to say, I will 360 eventually. Yeah, yeah. I'll be proven right. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the process of 360-ing. Yeah, that's, that's right. You've 180 on me here, though, Mike. You've, um, uh, when the trade first happened, you know, the Sixers were really dumb. Uh, I'm sorry, this is even before that. You, you liked the night trade for them. You didn't think he was really the type of player that uh, could excel as a starter, be an offensive threat, I don't know. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I, did, like I didn't think the fit was right in Milwaukee. Okay. Let's just put it that way. Then you did like the trade for Michael Carter-Williams. You thought Sixers made a mistake in getting rid of him. And, look, plenty of time to be uh, to, to write the script on these guys' careers. But it would appear that, and I'm not saying the Sixers made the right move, but Milwaukee may have made the wrong move. Well, I think they— <laughs> We don't really know what our picks are going to turn into. They overthought it a little bit, maybe. I think they, they looked at it and they said, we don't want to pay Brandon Knight. 15 million and Chris Milton 15 million or whatever the number that Chris Milton has we have to pick one mm-hmm. and I mean I would probably agree that Chris Milton is the more important player did of the two that's the thing did they really did have they, to pick them Oklahoma City thunder this and decide about something they didn't have to decide on? right and and I think they also thought okay we got to save that money for a big man right. and they got Greg Monroe, which, you know, again, that has not worked out yet. Right. So theoretically, you could have kept both and just kept Henson, mm-hmm. and that would have been better. You know, that you almost wonder if they overthought that a little bit. Yeah. And they had the Larry Sanders fiasco too, right? I mean, right. That also, they did have to change the trajectory of how they kind of right. their team. And I believe they're still paying him, I so I yeah. think that is also a factor. That's a good um, point. And so, I mean, and we could say that Knight has worked out in Phoenix, although their team is, you know, like eight and eleven right now. But Knight and Bledsoe have been really good together. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's 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 most of the Eastern Conference yeah. we touched on. Now, there's one team that obviously we have to talk about because uh, they won. Uh, they won, and it was a really special moment. I need like a, like five minutes to just say how proud I am of Philadelphia for not screwing up. Uh, Kobe's final game in Philadelphia for, for showing him the love he deserved. I, I, you know, Mike, I've told you this before. I watched him play in high school. In my high school's gym, he beat us in, in overtime. I was in third grade. It was something like the whole town 
was like, hey, you got to come see this this mm-hmm. guy play. Um, you know, and so and I remember watching him, PIAA state championships. Did you ever play against him? So our, I never did. I was in third grade when he was in senior. Oh, that's no excuse. But, you could have uh, totally but, played against yeah, him. I may have challenged him. No, but uh, yeah, but Lower Marion, I played against all the time. Um, yeah, they're in the Central League with us. So uh, having said that, whatever. So no, I want to hear more about your your playing career. <laughs> no, please, I really do. And and it's over. That was it. So. Was there ever anyone on there on Lower Marion that was like as good, not as good as Kobe, but still wow. like a star player? So Kobe yeah, was kind of came through, and he was the cult. He was the outlier in what they usually produce. No, Lower Marion is a very good high school basketball program. They, right. they routinely compete to win the state championship with programs like Chester, who are putting NBA players out. There. Right, Chester is where what Tyreek Evans went there. Uh, Tyreek Evans is from Chester. Okay, to American Christian Academy, I believe. Um, okay, Jameer Nelson went to Chester. Yes, that's right. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson went to Chester. Um, it's it's one of the best basketball programs in the country. You'll see them routinely in the top, you know, twenty, fifteen, whatever. And it's a it's a it's a poor school, man. It's a poor public high school. And basketball is one of the best ways out of, out of Chester, Pennsylvania, um, much like a lot of places around the country. But mm-hmm. that's not Lower Marion. I mean, that, let's not, not get this. I was going to say Lower Marion is very different. Always from a nice area. Um, but they have a great basketball program. And, and uh, you know, I'm blanking on the head coach's name, but he's, ha- he's run a program there for a number of years. They've never had another NBA-type guy like Kobe come through, though. What did you think of them wheeling out the coach and the jersey? I liked it, man. I thought, like I said, if the Sixers did it right, and they've had a checkered pass with, with Kobe. Um, when when the Lakers beat the Sixers in the NBA Finals, Kobe said some stuff that he probably regrets about his allegiance to the city. He's always been, and I've always respected this, Rasheed Wallace and Kobe Bryant are two people from Philadelphia who wear the other Philadelphia sports team's gear publicly. Mm-hmm. I always like that. I like when yeah. the many city do that, um, you know, who rep the city they're from, because it just shows a little bit of who they actually are. Um, so I really like that about, about Kobe. He wore his, uh, you know, Eagles shirt after the game and stuff. And I think he's finally getting to embrace that he doesn't have to be always on. I don't want to make this entirely about Kobe, but he's finally being able to show people, like, look, this is how I joke with my kids at home. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the person who my friends might know who I am. Uh, and that veil, you know, being taken off is something that he wouldn't do when he was, you know, a, kill, a cold-blooded killer on the court because he couldn't show that weakness. Uh, right. I think he's reached that as yes. his game has Agreed. weakened. Having said that, he did put up like 31 last night in the Wizards and lead them to a win. Um, but uh, Sorry, you said, I didn't hear what you said. No, forget about it. But um, so the point is, um, I, I really did appreciate the way that the Philadelphia fans handled it. Granted, there were a lot of Lakers fans there, as there's going to be at every one of Kobe's last games on the road, mm-hmm. as there should be. They're, in, they're you know an international brand, and he's got a lot of fans. That he yeah. But the best part about that game was that Kobe shot 17 threes, and he only hit a couple of them. And the Sixers that was weird. Game, weird. It was super weird. He, he didn't even care. Yeah. Um, but the Sixers did win their first. Do you feel a little better about them now that they're 1-18? Well, I, I feel better about them. I feel better about them being where they are now from a playing. They're playing harder. Their defense is significantly better over the last five yeah. games that they've taken a lead in the fourth quarter in all of them. That's, I mean, that's the thing. They're, they're right there. Yeah, and they are. That's, they've that's been there. What young teams do is they find ways to lose close games, and mm-hmm. what good veteran teams do is they find ways to win them. Um, so, look, I don't want the Sixers to win these games, but I want them to know what it feels like to win a couple of them and to okay. know what it feels like to kind of feel confidence. The way they celebrated as the final minutes kind of went down in that, you know, like 13, 14, whatever point win, it was like I remember coaching my AAU kids. When they were winning, they were so happy. And there's this spark of like, oh, I want to feel that more and more. Mm. And then you kind of you rotate to where the Sixers are, which is that they were losing so much that they were so depressed. And you could see it. Jalil Okafor's actions off the court are that of someone who is not happy with what they're doing on a day-to-day yeah. career. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, you see people get in bar fights and drink too much who hate their desk jobs, not guys who play in the NBA. Yeah, well, that's a whole big sure. situation and, we don't know a lot about. I'm not going to get into that. Now, speaking of being happy, you yeah. were very up- despondent. I would say a couple yeah. days ago before this win, you yeah. seem a lot happier now. Yeah. Are you still? You said something to me along the lines of, "This is the lowest you felt as yeah. a Sixers fan." Yeah, and you are. I, I assume your trust in the process is not very high right now. All right. So this was a po- uh, posed to me by uh, Elena, one of you know one of our editors here at SB Nation. She said, "Is this the lowest point in Sixers history?" And I had to think. And I had to go home and think about it because even answering it right there didn't feel right as we were talking about it. I was like, there's more to this. I know there's more to this. Right. It's not the lowest point. Here's why. I do still trust in the process of this because it is a singular person's direction. It's Hinky's direction, ownership behind him. When the lowest point in Sixers history, and there have been a lot in my lifetime, I'm not even going to get into the 70s teams that were really bad. Okay. <laughs> That's right. They, they would be setting their own record. Be breaking their own record. <laughs> breaking their own record. <laughs> Which is kind of nice in a way. But anyhow, the, the thing... Nice, huh? Yeah, it's... it's, it's uh, Interesting. It's putting a little bow on it, man. Uh, <laughs> that after 40 years, we're still the same. So I see you're going to celebrate yeah, but when I, they go 8-74. and 74. Yeah, hope, we're going to break 10 wins, man. But here's, here's for me. <laughs> the lowest point in Sixers history was the, the 92 uh, to 1996, the pre-Larry Brown. Uh, call it Doug Moe was the coach in 1992-93 season. All right, Their best players were Manute Bowl, Armand Gilliam, uh, Perry, and Lang. I mean, these were the offensive Perry. The worst trades in NBA history. These were the products that they got back, Hornacek's on this team too, for the Charles Barkley trade. So we're right, following Charles Barkley, but right before Larry Brown, uh, or up to Larry Brown, that was the darkest time in Sixers history, yeah. man. Because then they went to the 93-94 team, was coached by Fred Carter. So Doug Moe to Fred Carter at coach, okay? That team went 25-57. and 57. That's not that bad. I should preface that Doug Moe's team was 25-56. and 56. Okay, that's okay. not that's so, not that bad. Yeah, sure. I mean, so... That's not that bad. I sure. mean, at least... Okay, uh, the best player on that Fred Carter team? Your number one draft pick. Sharon Wright. <laughs> no. Oh, Sean Bradley. Bradley. Yeah, that's right. Year for Sharon Wright. Yeah, yeah that's right. Sixers fans get truly stoked uh, by the 24 okay. 58 John Lucas led team, whose best players were Sharon Wright and Clarence Weatherspoon, who combined to weigh about 600 pounds and be about 70. <laughs> so you really think, okay. Wait, one more. Let me finish it off. All right, fine. The next year, so that was Doug Moe to Fred Carter to John Lucas to Johnny Davis who you probably know, but no one else even listening to this podcast knows who that is. He's an assistant coach who's coached for a long time. He coached yes. I think he may have coached Orlando at one point, too. He did, yes. Okay, cool. That Johnny Davis team was absolutely tra- terrible, okay? And that went into the Larry Brown 97 team. So that that was the darkest time in Sixers history. Okay, but at, at least you had elite talent with Iverson and Stackhouse. After that. Yeah, right. Stackhouse, Stackhouse was, was Johnny Davis. Team. Yeah, Stack, but that, that's what he yielded. Yeah. You don't think that where they're at right now, they've got – what do they have, honestly? They have Okafor, who's a big question mark right now. Noel has played very poorly this year. I know he's been injured, but that it fit doesn't well. work. All you have, What do you have? Well, I think that, first off, for, for Noel, setting your expectation of what you want from him is important. If you're a coaching staff and you want him to keep trying in the game – to learn how to shoot his jump shot and attack the rim with his left hand is going to look horrible. He's just not there yet. But the problem is he doesn't look any better than last year. He yeah. looks a lot worse. And, you know, well, he's trying I'm going to do a lot more, which I think it was a much more simplistic approach for him last year. That might be true, but this does remind me a little bit of what happened to, and you're going to oh, think God. this is a sad comparison. This reminds me a little bit of what happened to MCW. 
between his first and second years. Comes off an injury and just really regresses. And then you get to this point where it's like, oh, well, maybe this guy's just not very good. And then do you want – I mean, look, MCW has not looked great, of course, since he's been traded, but it is – I think Noel's a a very good defensive player. I still do. I just I, when he's a five, he is. Yeah, I think that the, I think you're talking about the fit with Okafor is more the issue than actually individually Okafor and Noel. Right. The problem is, is that they each have completely opposite sides of the one's left side of the brain, the other's right side of the brain. It's it's really as yin and yang is offense and defense because neither one can do the other. You're not concerned that they're already making it a priority to split them up? No, no, not entirely. Because part of this is that. The assets the Sixers currently have, and we don't know what they are. We don't know what Saric is going to be like in the NBA. We don't know what Joel Embiid is going to be like in the NBA. But chances are there's no way all four of them, if they ever are all playing for the Sixers, can be on the court at the same time. So Possible. No, no. I, I, was, I mean, I was joking. Chances are. <laughs> obviously, you're not going to have three seven-footers and a six-foot-ten guy on the court. But Oh, I think Jaleel could run point. I mean, he'd love to, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, that'd be interesting. Uh, what would a, what would a Noel Jalil pick and roll look like? It would mm. be awful. <laughs> I kind of want to see it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and they have their traveling. they have their picks, I guess. But we have I, our pick, and then obviously, the, to to put a bow on that, the bittersweet thing is to beat the Lakers. It's the only team in the NBA we can't beat. <laughs> yeah. We need their pick badly. Right, um, but it, it does convey to unprotected if they don't get it this year. Next year. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So the Lakers are going to be much better next year because Kobe will be gone. They'll that's have true. Free agents. They'll have another really good draft pick. If they we don't get the pick, it'll be a top three one. That's true. They could have Ben Simmons. They could have a dude who's putting up 45, 15, 8, 4, and 5 in college yeah. games. In that's minutes. true. Now, um, here's my question. Here's my question. The thing I, I don't like about what they're doing is not the idea of, like, okay, we know we need to get anywhere we need elite talent. Yeah. To get elite talent, we've got to give ourselves a lot of chances to get elite talent. Whatever. Mm-hmm. They, I think they've mismanaged spots like seven through twelve on their oh, yeah. roster, and I, I don't think it's necessarily just getting guys who are quote unquote vets, but I think you need to be able to retain guys like a KJ McDaniel's, eventually like a Robert Covington, you know, even you know, the other guy I think about a lot, and I don't think they could have gotten Ish Smith. The other guy I think a lot is like these free agent signings of these young guys. You look at what Portland is doing, for example. Mm-hmm. That's a team that is very low payroll. What's GM's name? Neil Olshay. Yeah, Neil's but, really good. But they also they mm-hmm. signed some guys. They got some interesting players that can bridge the gap, like Aminu, mm-hmm. like Mo Harkless, sure. like but Mason Plumley, like occasional NBA players. Though, but that's exactly the point, though, is that those guys are going to make Portland. I don't know where Portland is in the league right now. Well, but are though, but yeah, no, no, no. Portland's, Portland's not going to be drafting in the top five. That's maybe, but I don't think it's because they signed Aminu and Mason Plumley. I think it's because they have Damian Lillard. But you think they're not? You think they're not going to be drafting in the top five because they have Damian Lillard because he's good. It makes them too good. Right now, the Sixers are not do not have the problem of having a player as good as Damian Lillard. As right. silly as that sounds, yes. if you signed. The other guy I think about is like a Will Barton. He's playing very well for Denver. They could have gotten him for not them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's playing very well. I think he signed to half the mid-level exception. There's no reason why you can't have these players yeah. in slots 7 through 12. You have some measure of competency. You have someone who you maybe can build around. It's not like... The thing is, they did. They had Evan Turner, and they had Spencer Hawes, and they had Thad Young. They had guys who could keep them, just like Aminu and, and Plumlee, who could keep them winning 25 to 32 games a season. And, are those and guys good enough to do that? 
I mean, they were. They were being good enough. That's true. You know, yeah. Actively happening. So Hinky actively broke it up. I, I even think there's. I even think there's method to the madness of suspending Okafor for the two games that they did. Mm. The two games they did were the Knicks and Denver. Those are winnable potential games. Well, you know, you don't think it had anything to do with the second video that showed him. I, I think there's a lot to do with the second video, and I also think don't ever put it past Tinky to strategically do something. Like yeah, that. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Yeah, I just. I'm not saying that. I. I don't I, see it. I look at it like this: the, the Sixers winning that one game was important for the for the kids on the team, for the young guys, because they have no veteran leadership whatsoever, and and even a guy like Brett Brown's only coached in the league. This is his third year. Right. He's never had anybody on his team, even veterans, to rub off on him, really. It, right. It's a very weird dynamic. Yeah. Um, but but to, back yeah. to the point, yeah. I just think if they had some of these guys, their core assets would look better. Yeah. They could at least, you know, those it guys was, could at least show some promise. You probably aren't winning that many games. The, the common Sixers fan refrain is like, oh, you want guys that will help you win 30 games. Like, that's exactly what we don't want. But I don't think that that would happen. I don't know. I mean, it looks like every team in the East is on pace to win like 30 to 40 games this year. Right. Do you think that if they had, okay, if you just yeah. plopped that young back on that team, how many wins do you think that that well, team like would have? Three or four wins right now. They would still be probably picking in the top three. I mean, just, just we talked about this, um, the impact of a single guy, really, like a Covington. Uh, He's really helped this team. Yeah. Robert Covington has brought their point differential, which is minus 10.9 on the year. I think, I think maybe you mentioned this to me. It was like, it's like minus 7 with him. Right. But that's still like three and a half, four points because of one very replacement-level guy. You know, yeah. like Thad Young, who's a little bit, you know, is actually a pretty good player, you know, and obviously a type of guy on a team like the Sixers team who would probably feast around the rim with all those misses. Um you know, yeah, he would help them a lot. But, like, if Nick Stauskas was just shooting at the base level of his ability right now, they'd have another win. You know, there's a lot well, of things that have contributed to them being But is Nick Stauskas not shooting at the base level of his he is, ability because they— he's, like, he's mentally, he's not there. He's not— no, I agree. Uh, mental battle. But don't you think that maybe yep. he would be a little bit better if they had—if he wasn't playing with yes. two bigs that— are playing their as way a point guard. as a candidate point guard, <laughs> you know, someone who actually knew what yes. they were doing maybe would enhance the assets they have. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. And I think there's a middle ground sure. where they can do that and still not sacrifice sure. their high draft positions. Going after any of the free agents in last class, there were plenty of good role player veterans in the last free agent class. They all went to various places. It, it, even if they won't go to Philly, and I think the problem now is it's, nobody will go to Philly. Bad. It's just even extending the ability to say like, "Hey, fans, look, we are trying to add people." Yeah. <laughs> look, other players on our team. See, we are trying to add teammates for you, <laughs> you know, that aren't going to be 18 or 19 years old. Right, and even just like, why couldn't they? I mean. I guess Jason Thomas is playing bad, but they could have kept him. They didn't need that trade. Yeah, we, we got rid of Thompson and uh, Landry as well. Landry is injured. Injured, okay. Yeah. But even, look, the KJ McDaniels thing, why could, why'd they have to trade him instead of giving him $3.5 million a year? Yeah, it makes no sense. I, I don't get when that. We, when we were below the floor and add to page, play right. with the difference anyhow. Yeah, yeah. I know, man. I, I think it sends a bad message. That's all. That's my criticism. I, I think totally what they're fair. what I they're what they're eventually going for. It could get flipped with better luck yeah. with Ben Simmons. Suddenly, it's a whole new game. Yeah. But this draft coming up is, and we've I probably have said this for years now, but just due to the the nature of where they're at, how the time is kind of you know elapsed and where they're at, like we just talked, they aren't any further along. They are actually further back than they were right. when this whole tanking process, whatever thing, started. 
this draft is so important for them to get that singular player, but ultimately they got to do something with those other two first round picks they have too, which is the Thunder's pick and Miami's pick. If you two I, picks that'll probably be not that great. I mean, two picks that are going to be in the low twenties, high teens at at best. Yeah. Um. But um. But still, those are the positions that good teams pick players that help them get better. And we never do that. And when I say we, I mean the Sixers never do that. They never pick, and Hinky has not developed players right now, and he hasn't necessarily made the best draft selections either. We don't even get into the Porzingis thing. But the idea is that he's, the book has not been written, but the, the prelude right now reads like crap. Well, I would say that the teams that generally do get the most out of those late-round picks have the solid infrastructure to be able to enhance their skills. That's and I think that is that is they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. But um, enough. So that's the Sixers. Yeah. Uh, going back to our original conversation, are you willing to put down mm-hmm. on April thirteenth? Cleveland is sixty wins. Who is who is number two right there? And then on in late May, who is who are they playing? Okay, Bulls with 55 wins is going to be the number two. So you, you have Chicago. Bulls. Chicago Bulls is the second best uh, team at the end of the day. Pacers okay. right now, Bulls when the playoffs start. And then I think in the Eastern Conference Finals, they're also going to play the Bulls. I think the whole thing with the Eastern Conference is that uh, I still like the Bulls' five best players or best whatever lineup playing in a, the crazy madhouse on Madison, whatever it may be. Um, and I think that Rose is playing as poorly as he possibly can right now. I think Dunleavy's going to help that whole situation out too. So Bulls. I Chicago. I will get better. Yeah, Chicago's going to be the, uh, the the team playing them in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think it's going to be a vicious series too. I'm kind of rooting for that. What do you like? I'm going to say Miami. Okay. Miami. In the Conference Finals. I don't think they're going to have the second best record. I'm not quite sure who. Well, they better not have the fourth best record then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Third best record. Okay, go. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Miami. I because I, I don't trust Lowry to stay healthy all year at this level. Nice. Yet I need to see it a little more. He might do it. Cool. Uh, so, but I think Toronto is gonna rack up a ton of wins, and I think they might be the second best record. I just I'm not. I think in the playoffs, I, I still like Miami as nice. the team that that advances to the conference finals. That was kind of my pick to start the year. And, yeah. You've been high on Miami. And I, I think that they're going to figure it out. Good. Cool. So, uh, like we said, this is Thursday. You guys are going to be listening to this podcast on Friday, December 4th, or, you know, the whereabouts of that time frame. Friday night, Mike, you got the Brow versus Braun. You got the Knicks versus Nets. You got Washington versus Phoenix. Yeah. The blood, the, the, the blood so wall bowl. That's always enter, an entertaining. wall bowl. Yes, correct. Which that, you're right. That should be a. It's a, always an entertaining. Blood so always gets up for, yes. for games against wall. And it's always have, fun. Uh, you have the battle for the second best team in the state of Texas uh, with Houston and Dallas. And we'll touch on Houston like in a podcast like three months from now when we actually know what they are other than just being a coach hating, firing, crappy team. Playing a little better now. Playing a little better, correct. Ty Lawson had his best game of the year the other night. The ghost of Ty Lawson. That that's important. Comes to play a little hoops. Um, again, my good uh, good deep dive into the Eastern Conference. I think this has been like a Western Conference heavy, aside from the little Sixers Wizards stuff that we interject. A Western Conference heavy mm-hmm. pod, just because the West has been so dominant. So it's nice to kind of let these forgotten fan bases, your Pacers fan bases, your Miami Heat fan bases, yeah, because because remember the Miami Heat have a. They have a fan base. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I see where you're. I think I see where you're going with that. Are you saying that that the Heat fans 
have a reputation for being fickle. Is that the joke? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if they make the playoffs this year. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, anyhow, man, good to dive into the East. Plenty of more topics to discuss. Uh, yeah, uh, and we'll have more on, on the East on the site in yeah. the coming days. I think it's just people are still trying to figure out if this conference divide thing is really over or if, you know, it, it's just a mirage. A lot of weird things do happen in November sometimes. Right. We've been pretty outspoken as you know, explanation about the fixes to maybe the NBA playoffs, the NBA lottery, uh, the conference realignment. So, like you said, plenty more of that content coming out in the uh, next couple of days on SB Nation. Uh, until then, though, as Mike, Mike's cell phone rings. What an amateur move. No, yeah. Until then, though, uh, Mike, try to find us. Uh, you're Mike Prada, but what's your what's your Twitter handle? Where can people? You can find me at Mike Prada SBN. We're also, if you have any questions you want us to address on. Future shows, you should uh, hit me up. Uh, my name, Mike Prada, spell like the Italian company, at uh, sbnation.com. Uh, send them along. We'll try to hit them. Uh, I'm, at, uh, I'm at EpiBen, E P P Y Ben, like the EpiPen, but with my first name. Find <laughs> us on iTunes, Limited Upside Podcast. Uh, subscribe. Find us on uh, SoundCloud. Subscribe to that. Check us out tomorrow when we're up on the site. Until next time, Mike, Limited Upside Podcast. 